Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, the oil market has been rallying like crazy. Is it crazy enough to save the oil industry, though? This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, from New York, Financial Food Fight. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to the Food Fight. I am Paul Vini and Stephen Grosser here in the studio. And uh, Jack Otter, Chuck Jaffe decided to blow us off today. Very, very disappointed. I'm deeply hurt. I'm deeply hurt. I'm deeply hurt. But it, it's good. I'm glad they did it. You know why I'm glad they did it? We get to talk some oil. Well, because we got two better people. Exactly. Than Chuck right. Jaffe and Jack Otter. You hear that guy? Yeah, we got better people. We have Nicole Friedman and Christian Berthelsen, who are two of our energy reporters here at the Journal. And the reason we wanted to have them in today is because there's a lot to talk about in the oil market, kids, isn't there? Definitely. Yeah. Um, let's sort of uh, listen. Give us the latest update. Because you held us up on this one a little bit. We wanted to take this at 1 o'clock, but, you know, you guys told us we couldn't do it at 1 because you had something more important to do. Nicole is very the excited Baker, about this. The Baker Hughes in. rig count. Now, some of you out there, you may not have heard of the Baker Hughes rig count. That's understandable. It's not exactly as big as the non-farm payrolls report, but it is important, isn't it, Nicole? It kind of is the non-farm payrolls report of the oil market recently. <laughs> um, it comes out every Friday at 1 p.m., and it counts the number of rigs drilling oil and natural gas wells in the U.S. And so it's kind of a proxy for future production because the rigs don't actually produce oil, but they drill wells that will produce oil in a matter of months, though the connection between the rig count and production is still a little bit unclear. But anyway, the rig count fell this week to 480 rigs, which is the lowest level on record. And the Baker Hughes rig count goes back to 1948. Wow. And so this is the lowest level of drilling activity the country has had in, you know, at least since 1948. But analysts think it probably is the lowest that level of drilling activity since the 19th century. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. And why is that so important? Why is this the non-farm payrolls of the energy? Like, what, what's the significance of that? Yeah, so the significance is that U.S. oil production has been booming in the last five, six years because of fracking, because of the shale oil boom. And that is basically what has pushed the oil market into oversupply and sent prices plunging in the past two years. And so now investors and traders are looking at U.S. oil production really closely to see when and how quickly it will decline. And the rig count is a really good future indicator for what production could be in six, nine, twelve months. And and, and give me, uh, let me get this straight: production. You sort of hinted at this, but where does production sort of stand, um, and how much does that come down in relation to the rig count? So production is down. It hit a multi-decade peak, the highest since the 1970s, last April, and it's come down since then. But it's come down a lot more slowly than a lot of people thought. Everybody expected, oh, these shale oil wells can't possibly make money below $80. And so they'll all have to shut off pretty quickly. And actually, these companies had a lot of fat to cut. And they were able to get more efficient, improve the time it takes to drill a well. They laid off a lot of employees. They focused on their best land. And so they've kept producing oil at much, much higher rates than anybody expected. And so the rig count is down, but production is not down as much as the rig count is down. So I was going to go to Christian. Uh, like this morning, we got a lot of headlines and a lot of people talking that the bo- calling the bottom or the bottom is near in the oil market, mm-hmm. and people have been waiting a long time for the uh, you know for, for a bottom. Can you talk to me why were they were you know making that call and 
is, is, do you think there's a bottom near? Well, I think that uh, sentiment came directly, actually, from the IEA, the International Energy Agency, this morning, uh, when they said in their monthly report on the oil market that the that the bottom is in, that we've seen it. Uh, so that sort of gave some bullish sentiment to the market. Um, and certainly we're up now 45 or so percent from the low we hit just a month ago in the U.S. contract uh, from about $26 a barrel up to about $38 and change mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. before we came up here. Uh, so, so there's been a huge run-up prospectively in this market as you know the bulls come in and anticipate a turnaround in the fundamentals um, and a, a sort of rebalancing between supply and demand. Um, so you got another sort of two to three percent in the market today off that report. You know, with with an international monitor uh, coming forward, I think. Uh, for the first time and saying, you know, the bottom is in, there's a recovery from here. Um, The IEA report had a lot of evidence to support that claim. Uh, There were production declines out of OPEC last month. Uh, There are production declines in other non-OPEC countries and in the United States. So that is one, you know, strong bullish factor supporting that argument. But there's a lot of caveats, too, mm-hmm. um, the most important of which is that the, the OPEC declines came from countries, Nigeria and Iraq, where the, the output reduction was caused by pipeline uh, problems, including uh, bomb attacks on pipelines. So it's not like they've made a, a decision to reduce output. They right. just can't get it to the market yeah. right now. And one of those pipelines has already been prepared in uh, the Sehan pipeline going into Turkey from Kurdistan is going to be back up and running soon. You know, two two things kind of pop into my head about this. One is from a completely selfish perspective, as somebody who puts gasoline in his car and has to pay for it, I don't think the prices went down far enough. I mean, prices and prices at the pump in New Jersey are pretty cheap. We're lucky. We have uh, cheap gas. Uh, it was it was under one fifty where I went. Yeah, but we have high property taxes, so it all <laughs> totally evens out. I, mean, like, what I don't think any Californians are going to want to hear you whining about yeah. dollar fifty gas prices. Know. But you know the thing—the thing. Look, it's all relative, right? <laughs> but the thing of it is, ten cent gas would be expensive, uh, right? The the thing of it is is that everyone kept saying as the prices were coming down from the summer of 2014, oh, this is great for consumers. Oh, this is great for consumers. Oh, this is great. This is like a tax break. This is going to juice spending, blah, blah, all those things. None of them really happened because, one, I think people are still stretched, and two, the gas prices were so high to begin with, I think you had to start getting down to very low levels for it to have a real effect, and I think they just start when you got to like a hundred buck fifty in New Jersey, folks. Sorry, yeah, dollar fifty. Cheap gas, expensive property tax, tiny state, bad road. Like a lot goes on living in New Jersey. But once they started to get down to that level, I think we were just at the point where you could start arguing that the prices were low enough that they were going to start having an effect on consumer spending. I think a lot of that money has gone into savings and into paying down debt exactly. instead oh, yeah. of going being spent right. back in the economy. I mean, you see it in the GDP numbers. If there were a, you know, right. the equivalent oh, yeah. of a sixty yeah. percent tax cut for Americans, it would be showing up more right. in GDP if they were spending it. 
And is it one of the the other thoughts too, like that you need like a really sustained low prices? And you kept hearing over and over, I think, with the consumer for consumers that like, oh, this is this is going to be sort of temporary. This is like from the Fed transitory. Yes. Um, but it, it's proven to be actually a lot <laughs> lasting a lot longer than I think most people expected. Yeah, I think consumers and drivers were very skeptical and kind of said, "We saw four dollars so recently. Why should I?" you know, change my change my habits mm-hmm. now that it's suddenly dropped below two. But we also did see a really big response in auto buying that we saw a That's lot true. more SUV sales, light truck sales compared to light duty vehicles. And so that is a long term shift in demand that those bigger cars will consume more gasoline than if those people had bought small cars right. for the next five, ten years. And so there has been a consumer response, just not necessarily in kind of daily retail spending where a lot of economists expected to see it. Right, right. Let's take a quick break, and we will come back on the other side after this extremely important message, which I hope isn't Jason Gay's promo for his show, but uh, a better or heard a on better, the street, or heard on the street, uh, a different, a different important message. I'm John Wardock. Want updates on the biggest stories of the day? Then listen to What's News from the Wall Street Journal. From top business stories... Apple says if they weaken the security of their phones, they make their customers' data more vulnerable. To the economy... I think American consumers are uh, alive and doing well. To election 2016... Today's a big day in presidential politics, obviously. It's the day of the New Hampshire primary. Check back several times a day and enjoy What's News... From the Wall Street Journal. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, Paul Venus, Stephen Grosser, Christian Berthelsen, and Nicole Friedman. Uh, N- Nicole thought it was funny, Grosser, that I wanted to sit in this seat. She thought it was humorous that, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a special seat. I, I, I would like to point out that that was my seat for three years. It was your seat. So I got dethroned. I got Wally pipped by you. You did get Wally pipped by me. And now... You are in the studio. You're in the control room. But yeah. now look where you are. You're Rusa in the control Lillo's, room. We used to call this the kitty room when you, Rusa Lillo had to sit right here You're right in front of the control board, you yeah. and Tanya. Although you don't know what any of those buttons do and you're not allowed that, to touch them, you're in the control room. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy about it. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's interesting because we're talking about oil today. And you look at the prices of oil. And just like you said, Christian, over the last month, and it's up 45, probably more than that to, with today's, with Friday's moves. But it is still down what, 70% from the 2008 high, from the all-time high? So the rally looks great. This this you know month rally looks great. You're still far, far below where you were. And how does that affect the industry? Well, the, uh, the industry still has a long way to go before it becomes uh, profitable for most of them. Although uh, there's a report today from Goldman Sachs talking about how a uh, fair number of the ENPs, especially high-yield shale players, say they can be profitable at $45 a barrel. So we're not far from that now. Mm-hmm. And the real risk in this run-up is that uh, it becomes self-defeating and that you start you bring prices back up to a point where production starts rising again and you don't clear the market of all the excess oversupply and you start adding to it again. Yeah. And that's exactly what we saw last spring, if you remember. Prices went from a low in March of about 30 some odd dollars to more than 60 by May and June. And that actually 
allowed producers to bring new wells online. The ever-important rig count went up, and that then freaked out the market. They said, oh, we still have an oversupply. We can't be rewarding these producers for drilling new wells just yet. And prices plunged back down to new lows by August. And so there is thinking among some market participants that this is the exact same situation again and that this rally will once again kind of cut its own head off. The other big factor to watch, too, is, you know, you've got supply and demand, but then you've got the inventory balances in the middle, which are enormous. They're at all-time records. Uh, The IEA said today that uh, there's a measure of how many days you'd be able to survive with no oil production. The world has enough oil to last us almost 33 days right now. Wow. And that, that, that's a high energy. number it's, for that measure. That's very high. Yeah. Right. And that's also only oil being stored by OECD nations. There's a whole lot of oil also being held in China and India and places that are not as closely tracked. Hmm. Wow. That's a huge number. One uh, one of the questions, you know, that we, we talk about this more, I think, on, on this show is the correlation between oil and, and stocks and, you know, it strikes me is that, you know, you have the oil market has completely hijacked um, the stock market. And, the, you know, the rally we've seen over the last, you know, few weeks here has been completely tied to the oil market. And wh- when is that de- sort of when are they going to become a little less, de- you know, more decoupled where stocks can almost stand on their own? Um well, that's an interesting point, and I think it goes to, if you look at the economic recovery that we've had since the financial crisis, uh, there's various metrics out there, but a lot of people say that a lot of the economic growth in the U.S. since then has been driven by the growth in U- U.S. energy sector. Um, so, you know, if that's now coming down, it makes sense that the stock market is going to track that. But by the way, I've done enough interviews over the year that I know when you ask a question and the person starts off saying, oh, well, that's an interesting point. Or they say, oh, that's a great question. It means that it wasn't an interesting point. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. But you know, it gets to my point, which is that uh, I think what you see in the oil and stock market and the fact that the two are so much more intertwined recently – is a, a function of the fact that these markets are being controlled, or at least trying to be, by the central banks, by what the central banks are doing. It all gets back to forex. It all gets back to money printing. Uh, I'm not going to go on about that one, Grocer, but, I mean, that's, that, that, you know, that's, that's my take on it. But I, I want to get back a little bit to, um, to, to what you guys were saying uh, about the, the rally, the short term of it, how it might affect the industry, because I know that they still have a, a lot of bad debt that they have to get through, right? Yeah, and that's part of the concern, actually, is that these companies have so much debt and they're so desperate to get cash flow so they can repay the interest on their debts that any chance they have to drill a well, they will drill a well because they need the cash flow. And so we're kind of getting these mixed messages from the industries. We're seeing companies, you know, just yesterday, Anadarko said it was laying off a 1,000 employees, 17% of its workforce in Houston. So these companies are obviously still hurting. This rally is not enough to bring health to the industry. But at the same time, we're getting a lot of companies going on conference calls saying, oh, yeah, 40, 45 We'll bring new wells online. Chevron on Wednesday had its analyst day and said they have a thousand, and no, a four thousand wells in the Permian that they could drill that would make money under fifty dollars, and thirteen hundred of those wow. would make money under forty. And so, definitely, there's companies that are you know eager to keep drilling and they need to keep drilling, which means that you know in in terms of the health of the industry, the debt is still a very big concern. Now, when you say when you when they when you talk about Chevron, talk about rigs and, and oil wells, are these 
are there are these well are these structures sitting on top of the ground that have already been or are these wells that they you know, they would start from scratch. Or is there wells that they mothballed? How does that, what were the details of that? So in Chevron's case, they were f- referring to wells they haven't drilled, but they could drill. Um, mm-hmm. But there is a big inventory. They call it the frack log of drilled but uncompleted wells. So those are wells that companies have drilled, but they haven't yet fracked, means meaning that the holes are in the ground, but oil has not yet come out of those holes. And there's a big, you know, kind of game right now in watching who's going to bring on those wells, how many there are, and at what price level companies would complete those wells and start selling that oil. And Goldman, in the note that Christian mentioned that came out this morning, they said that the amount of oil they expect could be produced from drilled and uncompleted wells, if they all came online at once, would completely offset any of the decline that they expect to see from U.S. production. Hmm. Uh, Let's take one more very quick break. And we will come back on the other side of this with just a couple of thoughts. Hey, this is Jason Gay. Are you liking this podcast? Well, then check out my podcast, The Free For All, where I talk about I talk about everything, man. That's why it's called The Free For All. For more info, go to wsj.com slash podcast. That's slash podcast. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. That's The Free For All, WSJ Pods. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Oh, my God. We are such professionals, people. I want you to understand this. While we were talking on the last segment, the studio, the lights are on a timer, and if nobody moves, they go off. They went off in the middle of the – while we were talking, and we're all standing here waving our arms, trying to make some movement that they'll catch and, and go back on. So we did a little bit of that literally in the dark, not figuratively in the dark, but literally in the dark. Though perhaps was, also figuratively. Perhaps. No, no, no. You, were, you guys are very smart. You know what you're talking about. You're never in the dark. Does anyone realize, you know, I, I, it's so funny to me. I know I'm a little bit older than I think all Everybody. of you. This is so sad. But, uh, and I'm such a geek. Whenever I hear people talking about fracking in the oil industry, I, I, <laughs> I have to say this. I, I go back to the 1978 original Battlestar Galactica where they got around the fact that their characters couldn't curse by making up curse words. And one of them was frack. And they would always, and it was for the F word, you know. And uh, they would always say frack, frack, frack. And then I didn't hear it for 30 years. And now everyone talks about fracking. And uh, I know there are some other nerds out there, too, that know what I'm talking about and are both sci fi nerds and, and market nerds and laugh at that. That's an Four, interesting point, maybe. Paul. Sometimes you just want to reach, <laughs> sometimes, Christian, you just want to reach one person. <laughs> if I can reach one person. <laughs> With my if you knowledge, are that person, please send Paul please an email. Send me an email. Right. <laughs> he will be so happy. <laughs> With my obscure knowledge of 1970, I, I think our sci-fi. producers actually like marking this as the cutoff point. Did, did I just lose my seat, grocer? Did I, I lose so. the seat? No, it was an earlier comment. You're getting it back. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy, that's too bad. All right, uh, you're out on Monday too. I mean, I, I am. I, I'm, I'm out totally on Monday. Pipping you on Monday. Yeah. Oh, that's. I, I now I got to reverse that. I might have to come in just for the podcast. I'm coming in just for the podcast. No, I'm not. Fair. I won't be here. But uh, Grocer will be here with a cast of thousands. We'll be talking a little Valiant. Uh, oh, you're already lining up segments. Already got, Look I at this guy. He's already lining up segments. Yeah, when I'm in charge, we, we're organized. Oh. We're on top of it. Wow. So Valiant. So yeah, Valiant. Reports earnings on Tuesday or reports, you know, gives their, their guidance on what their uh, last year looked like. Who are you um, dragging in here? We're going to have uh, Charlie Grant from Heard on the Street oh. and uh, Maureen Farrell. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. All It'll right. be a good conversation. 
right. All right. Well, listen, everyone, have a good weekend. You will see Stephen Grosser on Monday. You'll see the rest of us next week. And uh, listen, keep an eye out for, we're very excited, March 25th, we're interviewing Mervyn King, former Bank of England governor. It's going to be a big one for us, so we're looking forward to that. Not coming for a little while, but I just want to get you prepped for it. Have a good weekend, and we will talk to you next week.